more skilled with the phone than others in this room. All right, guys, good to see you today. Um, listen, I'm jumping right in with a, a, a texting that we got last week. Last Sunday we were here, we were talking about this idea of slavery in the Bible, and someone asked this. They texted in, <coughs> excuse me, while Paul, saw, while Paul saw himself as a slave of God, how did he make money to survive? Or did he rely on the hospitalities of others as he traveled? Yeah, great question couple things to keep in mind. One, Paul was not actually a physical slave. Slavery was a metaphor that he used to view himself, so he was not the owned property of someone else in the ancient Roman world. So how did he make money to survive if he was free? Well, he did it the same way a lot of people do. He worked. Paul was a tent maker by trade. And you can read about this in his letters and also in Acts, how oftentimes he would come to a new town he would set up shop, he would make contact with the local tent makers guild or whoever, and he would just do his trade in that town as a way of supporting himself. Being said, there is an additional way he did it as well. Uh, yes, he did rely oftentimes on the hospitality of others as he traveled. He would come to a church and the church would take it kind of as their, their responsibility to support him in his time there. And oftentimes they believed so much in what he was about and what he was doing that they would fund his further trip maybe to two, three, four, or even five locations ahead. And Paul will write about that in some of his letters. Uh, check out the end of Romans if you want one example. Today though, guys, what we're doing is we're coming back around to this this thing Stacy was 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 alluding to called koinonia. Now, the amazing thing about God is that he invites each of us into something bigger than, our, than ourselves. And one of the ways this thing that he invites us into is described by Paul is through a little Greek term that we've been talking about through January, and it is called koinonia. Now, we've been talking about koinonia and diakonia these past few weeks, and let me just kind of catch us up to speed. Koinonia is often translated fellowship, or the fellowship of faith, or fellowship of believers. It's a synonym for the word church in the Bible, because when Paul thinks about church, he never thinks about buildings. He thinks about people. People called to something bigger than themselves, joined together in this, this family, church, fellowship of believers, koinonia. Now, koinonia is supposed to be about diakonia. We looked at how these two words came together in a passage. It says God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. See that? To prepare koinonia for diakonia, to prepare God's people for works of service, mercy, goodness, charity, compassion, that when God brings us together, it is for a greater purpose than just ourselves. Now, what I'd like to do with it today is I want to kind of get it into this last line here. 
It's another phrase Paul gives for this idea, koinonia. He says, why are we supposed to be doing this stuff? So that the, and there it is, the body of Christ may be built up. One of Paul's favorite ways to describe the koinonia is this phrase, the body of Christ. And it's that metaphor, body of Christ, that I really want to kind of unpack today. Because I, I, I've experienced that it's become cliche. When, when people, especially Christians or, or, or church people, they talk about the body of Christ, I don't think they think of an actual human body. Do you? Or, or do you think it's just like some generalized entity, like some, just some thing, like a body of water or, or a body of literature, right? But when Paul says body of Christ, he actually has in mind like a, a physical human body. The metaphor Paul uses is that when you are in Christ, you are nothing short in his way of thinking of part of Jesus' actual physical body. Who thinks of themselves as Jesus' pancreas here today? Okay, right? Now, if you don't believe me, listen to this. Listen to what Paul does, how he pushes this. In 1 Corinthians 12, he kind of like just explodes with this, this imagery. And he writes this. The body is a unit, right? One body, right? Though it is made up of many, well, parts. It's interesting. Some translations will say members, but I bet when you hear member, you go in your mind like membership. Yeah, that's not where, where, where Paul was going. You got to think more like, like gothic horror. You got to think like dripping members and pieces of a body, hey, right? That you are members or pieces or parts of a body. So though it is one, it is made up of many, like dismembered members, and though all of its members are many, they form one body, right? That's how it works with a person. And Paul says, so it is with Christ. And just in case we're not catching his vibe, he starts pushing it. And he goes, look, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. Do your feet talk to your hands? I'm just curious. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body, and you, <coughs> you are the body of Christ. Now, as you were hearing that, did you see how visceral it was? How like anatomical and biological Paul's idea of the body of Christ is? And do you think of yourself that way? 
Because what Paul is setting up is, is this, that when, when you come to Christ, when you're in Christ, you are so organically connected to him. You have become so much a part of him that it can only be thought of in ways as the connectivity and organic nature of a physical human being. Are you with me? And that's what Paul says. He says, you know, you look different. You talk different. You come from different places. You have different backgrounds. But all of you have come together, and in Christ, you become an intimate, connected, organic part of him. But through it all, don't miss the metaphor. Because when you plunge into this idea of an actual, physical, human body as the image for what it means to be koinonia, I find things start coming to light in a new way. Now, here's how I want you to think about this today. Just so you don't miss it, just so there's no risk that you miss what Paul is doing. All right? Frankenstein theology. When you think of the body of Christ, what I want you to think of is Frankenstein's monster. So that when, 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 when Paul writes that I brought you together to be like one body, that what God has done is what Dr. Frankenstein created on that operating table in the novel. Now, a lot of you have probably seen the movie. A lot of you may have read the book. If not, get on it. It's worth your time. But I think the pop culture stuff is known enough that you shouldn't have a problem making the extension today. I put a clip together. We found one from the old 1930s classic. And what I want you to do is watch this clip. But as you do, what I want you to think of is Body of Christ. Let's take it. It's moving. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's moving. It's alive. Oh, it's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. All right, that is koinonia. It's God's creation going around, taking different pieces from different places and patching them all together and infusing his spirit into it and bringing it to life. You could almost hear God, right? Going, it's alive, it's alive, right? The body of Christ is Frankenstein's monster. Are you with me? Now, let's push the analogy on this. When Dr. Frankenstein builds his monster, he doesn't get the body parts or members from one place. He gets them wherever he can. He gets them all over the place. And, and can we just say they are not what we would term the choice pieces. They are certainly not the best of the best. Now here's an excerpt from, from chapter four of Mary Shelley's novel where she describes where Dr. Frankenstein went 
to find the body parts. She writes this. He collected bones from charnel houses. You know what a charnel house is? It's a morgue. Don't feel bad. I had to look it up too. He collected bones from morgues. The dissecting room and the slaughterhouse furnished many of the materials. He dabbled among the unhallowed damps of the grave. Isn't that last line just like great? I mean, who talks like that? He dabbled among the unhallowed damps of the grave. I just want to tell someone that randomly, you know? <laughs> you remember the movie? Remember where, you remember where he gets the brain? Because you need a brain, right? If you're going to make a monster, you better have a brain. You remember this? We, we, we pulled a, another clip from the same movie. It's only about 20 seconds, but just watch this one. Take it. that's what you are. You are the body of Christ, but you know what you are? You are an abnormal brain. All right. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to look at the person next to you and just go, you're abnormal, but God loves you anyway. All right. I, I think of what Paul says. Check this out. He writes this. Brothers, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise, influential, or of noble birth. No, God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and despised things and the things that are not. When I think of koinonia, what I think of is Frankenstein's monster. It is this patched together piecemeal creation of God where it doesn't look like it should fit people of different backgrounds, people with different histories, with different talents and experiences and track records, but maybe more significantly, people with different scars and issues and failures and sins that God brings together despite the fact that it doesn't look like this should match, that this should fit and God brings it together and he blows his spirit into this thing called the body of Christ and brings it to life. It's alive. It's alive. Now, Let's push the analogy even further. When Dr. Frankenstein starts going around to collect these body parts, they are often decayed and dead. That's exactly what God does too. He builds his body out of the decaying and the dead. Because see, that's what sin is. If you spend any time exposed to, to Christianity at some point, I'm certain that you've heard the word sin. 
But just like body and member, people spin sin in all the wrong ways. They make it into something that you do or that you don't do, kind of like it's committing a crime against the law. But, but that isn't fundamentally what sin is. And it's fundamental nature and core. Sin is death. It's death of the spirit. It's death of the soul. It's the death and corruption of life and the body. The wages of sin is death. Paul will say. It's like even though we're walking around, we're a bunch of dead people. It's like that kid from Sixth Sense actually had it right. You know? Is God looking down from heaven going, I see dead people. It's like night of the living dead. You may be moving. But if you're in sin, you're dead. That's what it does. And that's why it's so insipid. But you know what? God is a grave robber. Like Dr. Frankenstein, God is a grave robber. And he trolls the, the, the charnel houses, the slaughterhouses, and the morgues. He trolls the cemeteries and, and, and the dark places where people don't like to go at night. And he takes the dead and he says, be a part of my living body. Be a part of my son, the Christ. I love what Paul writes. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive in Christ. When I think of the koinonia, I don't think of some beautiful newborn baby. I think of Frankenstein's monster, a monstrosity brought to life by the living God. Which is interesting. It kind of has an implication for you. Because now if you're a part of the body of Christ and have been made alive in him, it kind of makes you like Igor, all right? It makes you like God's henchman who's sent out to go and do what? Find more abnormal brains. Find more body parts. Go and harvest it for me. It's like God's sending you out. And, and like, you know, may, maybe we should just like embrace the Igor thing. Turn to the person next to you. Hunch your back and just give them a good or, or something like that. It, seriously, do it. No. If, if only, if only we were as faithful as Igor. My gosh. What a better world this would be if only we were as faithful and obedient to the living God as Igor is looking for brains. And that's when God invites us in to, to be a part of this body of Christ, something bigger or greater than any one of us this piecemeal, patched-together monstrosity that God brings to life. Now, let's push the analogy even further. It's fascinating when you see Dr. Frankenstein go out to find body parts or sends Igor on his behalf they're not his. 
He steals them. God does the exact same thing. Sin not only kills you, it makes you a slave. You may feel free, you may look free. We may have certain freedoms in this country, but at some deep metaphysical fundamental level, anyone who has sin is a slave. You are property. The property of hell. The kingdom of darkness, it owns you. But you know what I found? God is completely unscrupulous. God doesn't play by the rules. God doesn't care if you like it or not. When God sees something he likes, he takes it. It's his. He doesn't care what social convention it might disrupt. I love how Paul says it. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He has broke the chains, sprung the prison doors, claimed the slaves of another as his own, and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of of sins. Each of us here at some point have belonged to something else, have belonged to another, maybe in a way that we thought we would never break free. But God is a grave robber who not only takes the dead, but steals it for himself and says, now you belong to me. That is the body of Christ. This monstrosity of different people, of different backgrounds, Dying and dead and decayed that God sews together, patches together, pieces together, breathes life into no matter whom they belong to and says, now, you're my body. You're my son. In him, you belong to me. Which, which brings us to something. It, it brings us to this idea of love and how you go about loving the body. First glimpse at Frankenstein's monster and you're not feeling a lot of love. It's ugly. It's scarred. It's rotten. It's horrific. But have you ever seen the movie or read the book? If, if not, I encourage you to do so and, and, and watch something. Something very interesting happens. Despite your better judgment and for reasons you're not quite sure why, you find yourself falling in love with the monster. I'm not really sure why. Is it, is it just like empathy? Is it a sense that when you can look past the surface, you could see that there's something deeper there? Is it the mere fact that it is alive and that, that at some fundamental level means something? I'm not really sure. But you find yourself falling in love with the monster, stitches and scars and horror and all. You know, it's a weird thing. If, if you're trying to love the body of Christ, 
because it's beautiful, polished, successful, bursting with life and vitality because it looks good. You're not really falling in love with what God created, but something of your own making an image instead. But if you can look at this thing called the body of Christ, stitches and scars and horror and all, and love it despite those things, you might just have koinonia on your hands. Because let's face it, the church is a monster. (coughs) It is. It's ugly. It's scarred. It does things that at times hurt other people. It frightens people away. The church, the body of Christ, it's, it's ugly and horrific. But God loves it. And we can too. Because we're ugly and horrific. Believe me, people on social media right now are going ugly and horrific. But we are, aren't we? Don't we come with our own scars, histories, ugliness, and horror? The body of Christ is that way because we're that way. But I'm here to tell you something today. God loves you too. Scars and marks and horror and all. And I don't care what your past is here today. What what festering wounds that are coming out of your soul that you bring here today. The God we serve is a God who chooses pieces for his body, just like you. Loves you for who you are and says, be a part of me. That is church. That is koinonia. That is what the body of Christ is all about. And it's what he invites you to be a part of right here, right now, today. Welcome to the monster. It's amazing. I'm going to invite the band to come forward and... uh, So much of this is about first coming to terms with our own scars and ugliness. To be a part of the body of Christ is not to deny those things, it's to admit them. And there's this ancient Christian practice of people of God going a relationship with God. Being a part of God means being honest. It means admitting who we are and not trying to play mortician on it. Letting God see us for our decrepit death 
and decay and all. And that's what I'd actually like to invite you to do with me today. If you, if you don't mind, get on your feet. And, and let's pray. As we do here today, whatever those scars and marks and wounds and places of decay might be, share it with him today in full vulnerability, with full confidence that God accepts someone like you here today. Let's pray. God, we come as people who are so ugly. We are the way we treat people. Our attitudes, our motives, our inclination, the thoughts that we have, the things that we find ourselves drawn to. God, we are, we are ugly. We are, we are scarred. We scar others. We cut ourselves We decay. We bring death into our lives and death into others and death in our relationship with you. We're rotten, we're dead, we are powerless. God, we need you. Thank you for loving us so much that you've chosen us. It's part of your body. Forgive us. Forgive us for all the ways we messed this up. And give us the hope. Something new and greater by far in you. Hear us, we pray. I invite you to pray this together with me today. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. But for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, Renew us and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Through the blood, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God makes you a part of his son, a part of his body. I love what Paul writes, and I want to invite you to read this with me, but make it personal. Take the use, make them wheeze, and embrace what God says about you today. We are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of us who were baptized into Christ have clothed ourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. And if we belong to Christ, then we are Abraham's seeds.
and heirs according to the promise.